This podcast is based exclusively on the real-life experiences of two bisexual cis women and their internet research. Sexual identity is deeply personal and influenced by intersecting identities, demographics, and circumstances. Rose and Annie do not speak for the bisexual experience of all individuals or the bisexual experience as a whole. In short, they don't know shit. Thanks for listening. Do we want to talk about the boob incident? <laughs> Guys, I'd like to formally apologize uh, for having to end this podcast yeah. because Annie exposed exposed herself. Yep, she has sexually harassed me. <laughs> it was aggressive. <laughs> I was taking off my sweatshirt and I'm wearing a, a shirt with large armholes. And a boob fell out. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. It's okay. You know what? It happens to the best of us. Yeah. I mean. I have I have a couple of PJ shirts like that. And I've definitely answered the door for delivery. <laughs> and then like. You want some? This is the tip. <laughs> the tip of my boob. Yeah. But I think we're going to. I think we'll work through it. So if you notice any weirdness, it's. um. It's me. It's Annie's boobs. <laughs> I think this is going to be a very fun episode. Lighthearted and fun. Yeah. Uh, should we introduce ourselves first? Yes. And foremost? Yes. Uh, my name is Rose, and I am a bisexual, and I use the pronouns she and her. Uh, my name is Annie, and I'm also a bisexual, and I also use the pronouns she and her. And we're here to provide some context about the bisexual experience by sharing stories, getting advice, and talking about queer people we like. We have noticed a lack of representation in the media, although there are some standout examples. And I think actually having having researched this a little and thought a lot about bisexuals who I've seen in the media... One of the other things that I want to talk about, besides like characters we've seen represented in the media as bisexual, are the ways that bisexuals are represented and kind of the stereotypes that they introduce about bisexuals. But more recently, breaking those stereotypes uh, that's been happening on more and more shows. So yeah, we wanted to talk specifically this episode about bisexuals in film and television. We intend to make further episodes about books, bisexuals and books, and literature, um, bisexuals and other forms of media. But this one's just film and television. Yeah, we started to compile all media and it was overwhelming. Yeah, we should clarify, there's a lack of bisexual representation in media. There's a lot of speculation. <laughs> yes. I mean, and we are bisexual. We want to see bisexuals. So a lot of the stuff that we've found that we want to discuss about media representation of bisexuals is aspirational. <laughs> yes. And I think um, as you all can assume, of course, I went to my Reddit, my subreddits and uh, asked, posed this, a couple of questions about media representation of bisexuals. And someone said, for so long, they had to kind of like pick up hints yeah. that potentially weren't intentional um, and kind of build their own concept of who and which characters are bisexual just to try and identify um, with the media that you're consuming. Yeah. I mean, we, we're going to go through a list of characters in film and television who 
have relationships with men and women, sexual or romantic, like one tenth of those, if that, are characters that have also explicitly said, I'm bisexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I think um, it's the same thing as we say in the history episode that you kind of have to infer unless it's explicitly said. So we'll try to point out the ones that explicitly say it. Yeah. And also um, it's going to be so annoying, but for all of you beautiful nerds, I'm going to put spoiler alerts in the show notes for whatever media and the timestamp during which we're talking about it. Smart. Smart. So you don't have to worry if you don't know (laughs) which characters buy it. Yeah. Oh, so smart. Our friend Debbie called me out uh, when we talked about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, really? For spoilers, yeah. Wow, shit. Sorry, Debbie. Sorry, Debbie. The first thing we wanted to talk about are our first experiences with bisexual representation in the media with a character who either explicitly or not explicitly said that they were bisexual or you know had a relationship with both a man and a woman in the in the series throughout the series um and I actually think you should go first because you have a you have a whole shtick fucking spiel (laughs) (laughs) okay so do I do the theme song scat first and then we can play it oh my god yes (laughs) it was the summer of 2000 My impression of the Big Apple wasn't yet shaped by the terrorist attacks of 9-11, but rather a prolific series that claimed it was going to show me how women really talked. Having just gotten my period, I figured there was no better time to learn. I would stay over my best friend's house because her parents had HBO and because there was always a chance we'd play boyfriend-girlfriend. One night, an episode called Boy Girl, Boy Girl aired, and I finally heard the word bisexual. I couldn't help but wonder, was this how the whole world saw bisexuals? Pretty good. Was my 11 <laughs> reference too fucked up? Yeah, it's fine. Um, I was trying to place it on a personal timeline, and I was like, I just got my period, and it was before 9-11. Those are, like, important things in my coming of age, yeah. and I feel like so was this. Um, so in case you haven't seen the show, this episode, Carrie... Dates, I'm not going to break down the whole show. In this episode, Carrie dates a guy who they're doing like... Wait, Carrie dates a guy? (laughs) It's the only time it happens in the whole series. (laughs) I don't remember that. It's crazy, right? Um, So she goes on, she's going on the third date and she's like, classic third date question. Tell me about your exes. And uh, he's like, here are my two last exes. And then there was Mark before that. Is that okay? And she's like, oh my God. cut to brunch uh she's like he's bisexual oh my god so there is so so many problems with this episode it's two minutes and 37 seconds where they're having this brunch conversation and they run through every possible fucking stereotype against bisexuals um carrie starts off by being like it was so weird that he was open about it which is like please stay in the closet jesus they do a lot of mixing up between like gender identity and sexual orientation. Mm. So Miranda says somewhere along the way, generation X and Y collided and created XY. I'm sure whatever writer wrote that was just like, this is so clever. Oh, Jenny Bix. You mean Jenny Bix, the head writer <laughs> on the episode? 
calling her out. Calling I would her. like a Twitter storm. She did not respond to my tweet <laughs> asking for an explanation oh, really? for this episode. What a, what a shock. What a shock. They ponder that all bi guys end up with men. And it's the same thing for all bi women, which is like a very patriarchal view. Yeah. The very best of our stereotypes is that it doesn't exist at all. I'd like to quote unquote, it is a layover to gay town, except apparently not for women because women will end up with men. So Sam, Sam has like the most positive reaction, but it's still not great. So she says like all the kids are going by indicating that it's an age and experimental thing. Right. Sam is like, oh, ultimately, it's really, like, evolved. He's open. You should have fun with it. And Miranda is like, no way. It's greedy. You're double dipping. Charlotte says, gay, straight, pick a side and stay there. Oh, God. Um, So they all kind of say, go ahead and break up with him. Later, Carrie goes to a party where she gets to kiss Alanis Morissette. Like, you should be so fucking lucky. Yeah, she's God. Okay. Yeah, she's God. What the fuck? What so the fuck? It's like him and several of his exes, and they're all kind of, like, have this tangled web of um, their relationships and who's dated who, and it's, like, so hard to keep track of. But then they decide to play Spin the Bottle, and it's presented as, like, the thing we do at all parties. Like, we always play Spin the Bottle. You know what? That is true. All bisexuals do play Spin the Bottle at parties. I mean, if you're going to show up without a bottle, like, what's are, the point? Are you even are bisexual? You even bisexual? Yeah. <laughs> are you bi enough if you're not playing Spin the Bottle every Friday night? I don't know. I don't know. Um, so that's know. obviously, like, a very slutty thing to stereotype. Or, yeah. like, oh, they're also promiscuous. When, in reality, that's... It, that party should have been like, look at all these fucking dope bisexual people who can are still friends with all of their exes and hang out all together all the time. Yeah. And it's super cool. Like everyone's friendly. I hope they're embarrassed by this episode. Do I yeah. Fucking Jenny Bix. I'm looking for an answer. When this was probably this was like the late nineties, early aughts, early, early aughts. It was two thousand, yeah. Two thousand. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that tracks. Yep. Yeah. Cynthia Nixon is bisexual. Is bisexual. <laughs> is bisexual. Is bisexual. And I would say frequently erased. I had no idea because I was like, oh, Cynthia Nixon is gay. Gay. Yeah. And she ha- says herself that she's not gay. Right. That she's bisexual. Um, so, okay. Ultimately, like, what does it matter if this show says some hateful things? But at the time, for people who weren't alive, Sex in the City was like a fucking sexual revolution for women. It had 3.6. This particular episode on the day that it aired had 3,690,000 viewers. Mm-hmm. So it seems like really dated now that these female friends are talking about like circumcision, bad sex, anal and threesomes. But at the time, there was not a show where women were discussing sex so explicitly or like relationships or anything like that. So they really missed an opportunity to change the script on bisexuals instead of it being this disgusting, impossible thing that Carrie has to grapple with. It could have just been like, cool. Who cares? Yeah. It would have probably made a difference long term because I do think it was a show and at a time that really 
was striking a chord with the culture and having an impact. Right. I found some issues with my first experience with uh, bisexual representation in the media as well, which I think aired it around the same time. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to be like problematic. We're canceling this. But this is how media works, right? Like something is made. It is now in discussion. We are finding out that the more we look at it, maybe our first impressions were wrong. We're going to make some characters 15 years from now that add nuance and then it'll continue to develop. But yeah, this is I feel like this is the discussion that always happens when people talk about sex in the city critically is like it was such a big deal for American women to get to talk openly about sex with their friends and not have to feel ashamed about it or weird about it because they had these four beautiful women talking about every Sunday on HBO and they were having fun and being real. But then, (laughs) but then they did shit like this. Yeah. Do you want to tell me about your first example and what, what happened right and what happened wrong for you? Yeah. So I was thinking about the first explicitly bisexual character that I ever seen on TV. And I thought it was Alice from the L word who very explicitly in probably the first episode. I think in the first episode, they're like, like, this is our bisexual friend. Yeah. And she's cool and funny and very cute. But it wasn't that. And I had to go back further. I grew up without access to cable television. I got two stations growing up. One was NBC, the local NBC affiliate. And one was PBS. Um, And PBS occasionally showed... BBC shows that had been popular like the year before um (laughs) and they were always they were always great I mean they were so fun they had like Agatha Christie mysteries specials which I'd always watch with my mom Pride and Prejudice and they showed an episode of the I think it was early 2000s Doctor Who that had just been rebooted with with Chris Eccleston I don't know if it had been rebooted. It was a new Doctor. Because, you know, the premise of Doctor Who is there's a space traveler who goes around the universe. And he's an alien. But he's very nice. And he wants to help solve mysteries and solve planets that are in crisis. And when he dies, he regenerates. And they always get a new actor to play. Him or her, now now it's a female Doctor. Women can be doctors. <laughs> Listen up, buddy. Women can be alien space travelers. The The stories are always fun. The special effects are garbage. Mm-hmm. The lighting is terrible. It's all a lot better now because they got a few great actors to play the doctor and like really breathe life into it. I started watching this show and I was immediately drawn in because it was the only science fiction show that I could watch (laughs) on my TV because that's, I mean, I had PBS and NBC. There were no dorky shows on NBC. There were like procedural crime dramas and I just wasn't, I wasn't into that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So finally there was a sci-fi show that I could watch. And that was very fun and funny. So one of the episodes that aired in 2005 was called The Empty Child. And it's the first episode that introduces a character called Captain Jack Harkness. Captain Jack is an American 
time traveler. (laughs) 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 Trying to explain the plot of Doctor Who is always like... Explaining a dream. It's yeah. It's like this is this is actually a terrible show. <laughs> <laughs> I think this might be a terrible show that just has very charismatic characters. So in the episode, he stumbles across the doctor and the doctor's companion, who are trying to figure out why these kids are walking around asking for their mom, and they have like gas masks glued to their face. It's really scary. It really freaked me out at the time. Now it's a little too low budget to really get to me. But uh-huh. at the time I was like, whoa, this is so scary. This is the scariest episode of television I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and he brings some levity into the episode, Captain Jack does, because he's very flirtatious and he flirts with the doctor and he flirts with the doctor's companion and he comes back in later episodes and he always flirts with like robots and aliens. Um, and he's he's openly bisexual and I mean... Probably more fittingly, pansexual. Like, he really, truly does not care what species uh-huh. <laughs> someone is. Uh-huh. It's all, he's, he likes everyone. I guess omnisexual would probably be the way to describe him in, in today's parlance. And when I was writing about this for this episode, I was like, man, what a great character. He was so fun and funny. And then I was like, actually, he was a... He was like a typically flirtatious, slutty bisexual. It was a stereotype. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Thinking about Captain Jack and thinking about Sex in the City's treatment of bisexuals, like we were thirteen. I was I was probably fourteen or fifteen when I saw the empty child one with Captain Jack in it. And it, I I mean, we took that shit to heart. I really did think bisexuals were like that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I think in middle school and probably early high school, I would have probably gone to bat that bisexuality wasn't a real thing. And I think my argument probably would have been that like all girls want to make out with girls. So bisexuality really isn't a thing that's just like being straight, which doesn't make any sense and is fucked up and weird. But that's a lot to do with this first media impression of bisexuality being like, fuck bisexuals, everybody feels this way. Right. Like the the one character who was kind of like, Eh, whatever, it's not that big of a deal. Still had to be like, it's a phase. It's a young person's game. Have fun with it while it's still, like, while he's still by, basically. Right. Yeah. What I, what I was thinking about was, like, would I rather have this representation or nothing at all? Which would have been better for me as a bisexual? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I can say certainly... I would have been better with no mention of bisexuality than the fucking drag fest. But as I, it would be interesting. I've never seen Doctor Who at all, so it would be interesting to think about, like, what that, what does that look? Yeah, which is better? Never hearing the word until you're older, or hearing it with some bad connotations. Yeah, it helps in Doctor Who that Captain Jack was like without question. Well, he was a scamp. You know, he was a thief, 
But spoiler alert. Sorry. Spoiler alert. It'll all be in the show notes. <laughs> if you if you got spoiled on this, then you know what? You didn't look at the show notes first, so you can't care that hard. Right. Yeah. You but, can care as hard as you want. But <laughs> he was like undoubtedly a good person and a good guy and would come back and always be on the right side. Just kind of like, oh, a little bit. A, tri- a trickster and a slore. <laughs> so um, I think I was better off with him, but I'm glad that this interpretation of bisexuality is continuing to evolve in our media landscape. I think that's part of why it's important to have well-rounded, fully developed characters who are representative of all different types of people. So even as you get bisexual representation, like I struggled to find very many examples of um, like bisexual men of color. Yeah. And bisexual men in general. Yeah. And I think the reason, like it's part of normalization. So letting somebody know that their identity is valid, normal, okay. Yeah welcome and that that person like your sexuality or other gen um sorry other identifiers don't limit you from being a fully robust developed person so yeah I mean that was something I found when I was looking up bisexual male characters in film especially big budget films and especially the kind of films that men are encouraged to see and enjoy, which are action films and spy movies and superhero movies, it, it doesn't exist. There's never, ever, 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 ever been a bisexual man in a big budget action movie. Michael Bay, get on it. Come on, dude. It's also like there have been women. There have been women in big bu- budget action films who are bisexual on screen, but it's always very male gazy, which sucks. Yeah, so that's like, that's a part of the problem is that, that I mean, we'll talk about um, all of the kind of like tropes and traps that people fall into when they're representing bisexuals. And I think that even um, representation of, for example, trans characters or gay characters or lesbian characters has started to come along in the right direction. And I would argue that like television bisexuals in the past three years have been also coming along in the right direction. Totally. Where it's important to make that person, their first introduction isn't, hello, I'm the token bisexual. Here are all of the stereotypes I'm going to check for you. It's just important that those characters have full personalities and goals and dreams and hopes and letdowns before... You're like, the only thing they have is their sexuality. Yeah. There's like normal, that normalization makes it easier, not only for individuals to say like, that's how I feel and how I identify. And I feel that I can, like the, this representation has given me a touchstone. Um, But also because people have expectations about how types of people they have never met are supposed to act. Yeah. So I actually, this is going to get a little dark. I was listening to a podcast that was about um, Matthew Shepard's murder. And they were saying that if you're, for example, if you're a gay man who doesn't fit the expected stereotype of a gay man, 
which at that time on television is probably extremely flamboyant, um, highly feminine, then you're perceived as like trying to pull one over on people. Right, a sleeper cell. Yeah, Yeah. so you're not fitting into the box of expectations. Yeah. And that can, like, that can result in violence. Right, I mean, that's something transgender people have to deal with all the time. All the time. It's easy, it's easy to see the like self-identification is super important in validating our youth, but also the people who don't identify that way are learning what to expect. And if what you expect is just a regular person yeah. who, oh, later you might learn something personal about them, that's the way it should be. Yeah, that's a great point, Rose. Sorry to bring up Matthew Shepard, everyone. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm I, not sorry. We should remember and speak about him. Yeah. It also reminds me that we, in making a podcast, are making media. And as times change, our ways of thinking about things, including human sexuality, especially human sexuality, changes. And one day, someone will be talking about how our show was not properly addressing some aspect of sexuality and they'll be right. (laughs) So, I mean, media, I think, has a responsibility to do the best they can to ask the people that they are talking about about their experiences. Um, And I think it's it's getting better, but if you want to write about a bisexual character on your show or film or book, talk to a bisexual person first. That's my advice. Yeah, great advice. Yeah, great advice. If even if you're not making media, sometimes it can be scary to put something out there because you're like, I don't know everything. What if I'm wrong? Mm. And I think it's important to know that like. You can be wrong as long as you're open-minded and willing to learn. And you can also change your mind. So middle school me would have fought hard to say bisexuality isn't a thing. Should I, do I feel embarrassed about that? Yeah, I feel embarrassed about everything that happened in middle school. Yeah. (laughs) But does that define me now and mean that I can't be bisexual or talk about bisexuality? Absolutely not. No. I hope all of us have grown from when we were 12. People change and thank God they do, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, speaking of changes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Let's change topics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm going to give like a really brief history of bisexuality in film. And this came from. Uh, the glbtq.com. It's a LGBTQ archive. Um, this is actually from an archived version of their site. So I don't think this page is live anymore. Um, but in 1914, uh, the first documented appearance of bisexual characters in motion pictures appeared um, in a Florida enchantment, an American film, and... Zapatas Bande. Um, They were silent films, and in 1914, there wasn't overt censorship. So filmmakers really represented sexuality of their characters um, without a lot of constraint. And then in 1934, basically, like, the movie industry was totally debaucherous, and, like, 
known for their sex, drugs, alcohol, or oh. all sorts of crazy, crazy shit. And they were like, we have to start policing ourselves before we get policed. Like, uh-huh. we got to be the ones to lay down the censors. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So they hired William H. Hayes, the former postmaster general. Oh, the right guy for the job. <laughs> like, everybody knows that postmasters are the biggest prudes. They're the Charlottes. Yeah, they are the Charlottes. They're the Charlottes. <laughs> uh-huh. They're the Charlottes of the government. <laughs> That's true. Who's the Samantha? Who's the Samantha? <laughs> Congress. Congress. It's right there in the name. Congress. Sexual Congress. Ooh. So they hired William H. Hayes, the Postmaster General, um, to create guidelines for what content they should allow in films. They later became the Motion Picture Production Code, um, and they banned the representation of homosexuality and bisexuality. And also banned the words homosexual, gay, and bisexual. Those were in place uh, for about 26 years and stopped being followed in the 60s, led by just rogue directors who were like, this is bullshit, I'm not doing it, which is awesome. I was thinking about how when we were watching our first representations of bisexuals, it was about 20 years ago. And that's the amount of time it took for people to be like, we want to actually see more bisexual. I mean, it's like, it seems so long from the to 30s and 40s to the 60s, but it it wasn't. It, yeah, it's, it's not. That's so interesting that it is like the same time difference. Yeah. And it's like, that's just how long things take to. To be like, wait, we don't want to do this. To like, well, if you think about it, it's like, that's how long it ta- probably takes for someone who's an underrepresented identity to claw their way yeah. to a position where they're secure enough and safe enough to say, this is the kind of creative stuff I want to make, and they're in a mainstream. Like, mm-hmm. most of those people are not getting mainstream support. That's true. That's so true. But, yeah, so a lot of, even in this, like, kind of 60s on, people fall into these traps of bisexual tropes. Mm. So first is the married bisexual a person's spouse has a bisexual past that's revealed or they're abandoned mm. for, a, a, I think it's usually the same sex partner. Yep. Lesbian and gay men left behind for bisexual lovers mm. to live a hetero life. Should I read the examples of these? They're all movies I haven't heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the married bisexual example, um, 1982, Making Love. It was one of the first depictions of bisexuality as normal and complex, though. Hmm. So this was a man who left his wife for man. another man. Okay. The lesbians and gay men being left for bisexuals uh, include 1968's The Fox and 1982's Personal Best. Um, there's also a stereotype of deviance, so bisexuals who kill or end up being killed um, in kind of like an anger about their bisexuality. Yeah. And that's basic instinct is a great example. Yeah. Also a great example of like over-sexualizing. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. There's also the trope of like a bisexual betrayer that kind of falls into the, the first two, like leaving their current partner, that bisexuals are selfish. I just want to read this quote from Robert Redford. In 1966, he took a role of Wade in Inside Daisy Clover. 
And he said that he wanted to change him from a homosexual character to a bisexual character so that he could, quote, play him as a guy who bats 10 ways. Men, women, children, dogs, cats, anything, anything that solves his ego. Which, like, maybe that's what that character needed. Mm -hmm. But sounds to me like he's a sexual degenerate. Yeah, it sounds like he could still be someone who craves attention and is a jackass and be straight because I know a lot of straight guys like that. (laughs) Also, like, who's trying to get sexual satisfaction out of children? Yeah. That's a fucking pedophile. That's a crime. So he's a criminal? I mean, I haven't seen it. Maybe he is a criminal. I also haven't seen it. Maybe he is a criminal. So who knows? But I, you know, either way, you know, I don't think anybody's like Robert Redford. Great, great woke dude. Yeah. Ahead of his time. Yeah. And then there's also the issue of exploitation, which Annie's kind of brought up fetishization or exploitation of bisexuality for the male gaze or shock, awe, humor. So a lot of examples will be like a female character just like drops like, oh, right, my ex-girlfriend, like, "Mm," because I'm like, I'm like a little Mm bi-curious. And it's like all the guys are like, oh, what? And it's like funny because they're shocked. But if you drill down, it's because they're like girls having sex with each other is hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wrote (laughs) this was a typo, but I like it. So I wrote when female bisexuality is presented for the benefit. The benefit. Nice. Which was a typo, but it's the benefit of men. Yeah. Um, And then I would argue that I've seen it definitely to represent, like, a cool girl, like, signal that, like, bi girls are cool because, like, they're down. Yeah. There are some representations of bisexual people on screen that, I don't know, some of these representations I've enjoyed very much. Yeah. Um, And I will say that they're complex, and I appreciate that. They have been a little riddled with stereotypes, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to pull out, um, like, I agree with you. There are some that I'm like, oh, I've loved that character. And then on a rewatch or the more I really dig into it, the more I'm like, maybe this whole show is fucked. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, oh. Yeah. And obviously... Television in particular, they have to keep coming up with drama. So if if they are making a character do something that doesn't really make sense uh, or a normal, happy bisexual wouldn't do this, it's like, okay, well, it is it is television. They have to make it dramatic and they have to keep the plot moving. But there are some instances where it's like, don't do this. Don't do this to us. Yeah, where you're kind of like, you couldn't come up with anything else. And I feel like it depends on the the show, too, because, like, for example, Grey's Anatomy, I'm like, well, the option is give them um, a brain tumor, kill them, right. remove a limb, have them fuck someone else. Right. And that, to be fair, they do that to every single character. On they that do show. that to every <laughs> single character. They did it to every single one. There's no character on that show that got scot-free like had a happy life it's still going on right that show's still on uh yeah i'm fully caught up seriously as of last night yeah yeah i i'm uh yeah there's 
four of the original characters are still on the show and none maybe Miranda Bailey has had the happiest of the lives yeah um but I'm probably forgetting like a whole four seasons where like all she had 12 more kids and they all got killed or something like it's been on for so long that it's hard to it's hard to remember and also irrelevant to this podcast yeah (laughs) but there is um a bi character on Grey's Anatomy who has been touted as like a great example, Callie Torres, who is a fucking badass bone doctor. I can't remember what the official name for orthopedic surgeon. Orthopedic surgeon, yes. I knew yeah. it was ortho something. Yeah, she's a badass orthopedic surgeon and she dates George. Oh. <laughs> She marries George. They get married. She, yeah. She marries George and then they get divorced and then she ends up marrying Arizona. Spoilers. Oh, my God. Spoilers. Sorry, Annie. Should <laughs> I have checked and seen what no. episode you were I, at? No, I watched until George died. And Sorry, spoilers. And I was like, <laughs> fuck this. Fuck this show. I'm done. Dude, so many more people die. <laughs> Everyone you love will die. It's like people like rave about George R. R. Martin killing off characters you yeah. love. Grey's Anatomy, totally ruthless. Yeah, what's her name? Who makes who makes Grey's Anatomy? Shonda Rhimes Shonda was the Rimes. creator, but she's no longer with the show because because she can do better. She's off, she's <laughs> off doing uh, How to Get Away with Murder, I think. Yeah, I also watched that. Um, I've never seen it. Is there any bad characters? Yeah, tight, yeah. cool. Um, okay, so sorry, Callie Torres is dope, really badass. It's not a story of a character who dates men, dates men, dates men, and then switches and dates women, dates women, dates women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very good representation of like somebody who is bisexual. Uh, it, her character is played by Sarah Ramirez, who is an out queer woman of color, and she is fucking badass. Yeah. She's really cool, and she's currently playing another bisexual character, on Madam Secretary. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Madam Secretary Hot Take has two bisexual oh, characters. Yeah. Hers is named Kat Sandova, Sandoval, uh, a policy advisor to the Secretary of State. Nice. But she's fucking great. That's so cool. She's very cool. Love when buys play buys. Yeah, it's awesome. So good. Also, Willow, played by Allison Hannigan on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She is the best friend of Buffy, and she comes out as a lesbian when she starts dating Tara. Before that, she had been dating Seth Green's character on the show. Oz. Oz. It was great because it was a show that a lot of young people watched and a lot of young nerds watched. There were not a lot of queer representations in nerd media in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So it was great. It was great for that. I don't think it holds up to like modern expectations for depictions of queerness yeah but again it was one of those like early forms i was like okay this had to exist in order for other things to exist i think so having not seen it and only read um bisexuals takes on it there's like the idea that it's like it's erasing bisexuality as an option for willow oh yeah I feel like there's like three ways that it could be. It's like erasing the bisexuality, even though she is bisexual. Second would be that she does realize now that she's a lesbian. And so she comes out as a lesbian. Yeah. Third is that she's bisexual and 
just using the term lesbian to like refer to her current relationship. Right. I think it's a missed opportunity to identify that character as bisexual. Yeah, exactly. But it was probably pretty like for a primetime teen drama, sci-fi horror, whatever, to be like, les- I'm using the word lesbian yeah. was also probably pretty important at the time. Yeah, I think it was. Uh, having spoken to many other queer lady nerds who are my age, it was very formative. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely called out by Redditors. They were like, uh, Willow, obviously. Yeah. But the bisexuals were like, yeah, but couldn't we have just said she was bisexual? Yeah. Do you have any, do you want, do you uh, want me to talk about these? Yeah, you should talk about Broad City. Tight. Okay, so Broad City, it's like two portrayals that are very different. Spoiler alert. In the final season, Abby dates a woman. I didn't know that. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so Abby Jacobson openly identifies as bisexual. I don't know if Alana Glazer does. I haven't read anything anywhere. I believe that she's married to a man, which doesn't mean anything, but there's what I know about her personal life. <laughs> um, and so the show has like two portrayals. Alana from the very beginning is very like in your face, owns her sexuality, has sexual relations with men, women, couples, talks about, like, objects being sexy, is very, like, oh, mm, ah, yeah, (laughs) oh, ooh, DTF, in a very, like, empowering, strong way. Yeah. And it's not, to me, it's, like, it doesn't play as, like, a slutty bisexual. It's just, like, a hyper depiction of of a person who's, like, my female sexuality is super empowering. Right. And then Abby, who kind of throughout the show is like pretty bashful and she pegs a guy and is very triumphant about it. <laughs> yeah. So I th- I wouldn't say she's like ashamed of her sexuality or anything, but she's just much more like modest about it. She's um, like awkward. She's Yeah, she's awkward about <laughs> it. And her character says to Alana, like, I, I met somebody there was chemistry. I realized that I was stopping myself only because she's a woman. And that's, uh, if you've read Abby Jacobson's book, I might regret, I might regret this. <laughs> <laughs> I might regret this. <laughs> Sorry. Ooh, and we're back. <laughs> and we're back. Um, so if, if you've read her book, I might regret this. She talks about her, uh, kind of like realization that she's bisexual and that I read last summer right after it came out and it hit me really hard because she was in her early 30s or late 20s early 30s when she started to kind of um, realize that she was bisexual and that she was stopping herself from approaching women in the same way that she would approach men but so I just th- think it's super cool to have those two very different stories happen for best friends. Nobody makes it like a big thing that she's dating women now. There's, I think the next episode, um, the girl she's dating gives her a hat. And so she's trying out the hat. (laughs) And Alana's like, well, I don't know. What does this mean? Does this mean that you're like only going to wear hat? Like you're going to wear hats from now on. She's like, I don't know. I'm trying on the hat. Like, 
I mean, I don't think I'm going to always wear hats, but like I might wear hats sometimes. And it's just such a cute, like it's low key. It's not super serious. Um, and the hat's ridiculous, (laughs) but it's just one of those things where it's like, I got some questions now. Like what's this new thing you're trying? But yeah. Okay. So, uh, sorry. I've been talking now for a hundred years. Um, but so in Insecure, Issa Rae's best friend uh, dates a black man who tells her about a same-sex experience that he had. And this friend, Molly, had already told him about a same-sex experience she had had in college. And she's like immediately turned off. And she's kind of like, does this mean that you're gay? Like what exactly happened? like really having a lot of questions around it. Um, And then she's talking to her friends about it. And she says, I want my man to be a man. And immediately gets, Issa's immediately like, that's homophobic as fuck. Um, And they're just talking about how black men aren't permitted to explore their sexuality without being labeled. Like one of the, one of the other characters says like, you have to break up with him because he's obviously gay. So there's kind of like the person who's dating him, a person who's saying like some biphobic shit mm-hmm. along with the person who's dating him saying biphobic shit. And then the two other characters are both like, I don't get it. We don't let black men explore their sexuality. And that's actually what Issa Rae's new series is about. It's called Him or Her, and it's about dating. I think that the primary character is a bisexual black man. Okay. I don't think it's a side character. Um, But she said that she got, like, so much hate. Wow. When she wrote about that. It's definitely an underrepresented um, amalgamation of identities. Yeah. And is super like needs to be talked about because yeah. it's important yeah yeah I, I look forward to watching that I, th- I feel like television is making a lot more progress as far as representing disparate sexualities on the screen and I, I, I really wish there would be some like big movies that would do the same thing yeah we wanted to talk about some other characters that have appeared in film and television over the years and actually the first one I didn't I didn't even think about when I was thinking about my first exposure to bisexuality on screen but it was definitely one of the first and it falls into that stereotype of like over sexualized bad just really bad and embarrassing early aughts interpretation of bisexuality And of course, it's Tila Tequila, who had her own reality show called A Shot at Love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It uh, was it was really bad. It was bad. She's bad. I think she's a neo-Nazi now. Oh, God. I mean, maybe I shouldn't blasphemy Tila Tequila. <laughs> yeah, we don't love her. We do not claim her. Rose, Rose wrote, we do not stand. We do not claim <laughs> <laughs> the next one is that <laughs> that character from the OC. <laughs> and I know who you're talking about. It's the girl that made out with what's her face, right? Yeah, I got a summary from uh thank you to Katie who gave me a summary because so I said I don't know what we're talking about. Hold on, I'm gonna read it right now. Okay. 
Alex is a very cool 16-year-old who lives in an apartment by herself and runs the bait shop, which is the live music venue in the OC. Seth gets a job there and they start dating. But then Alex's ex-girlfriend Jody shows up and she's, quote, crazy and abusive. And Seth gets jealous and they get in a fight and they break up. I can't remember. Then <laughs> Alex and Marissa watch a movie together post her breakup with Seth. And there is a look. But Alex's ex-girlfriend Jody is still around. So Mar Marissa lies and says that she is dating Alex so that Jody will leave. Alex and Marissa are just friends for a while, but then they have their first kiss on Valentine's Day. Then Alex and Marissa are still dating, but Marissa is actually still in love with Ryan. I don't know who Ryan is. <laughs> so they break up eventually, and Alex says that she's going to move back in with her parents because she wants to go back to high school. <laughs> I really watched all that show, and I do not remember any of that shit. Uh, also, Alice from The L Word, who we already mentioned... Just a, a bisexual character on a very queer show. Kind of a necessary character, I think. Mm -hmm. Rosa Diaz from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, who we've talked about. And talked about the act actress who plays her, Stephanie Beatriz, also being bi. Uh, which is always great, because you get a more accurate representation. Yeah. Um, Kalinda from The Good Wife, a character that... Another show that I really watched... All the episodes of cannot remember what happened in the whole show. I do remember thinking that the character of Kalinda, Kalinda got fucking screwed because they just wanted someone who could like sleep with more people to like mess with the plot. And she was so cool and hot and she deserved better. Anyways, <laughs> House of Cards. Uh, yeah, Kevin Spacey's character is bisexual in that show. We won't talk about that. He's also, we don't claim him. We don't know him. We, I don't know her. We don't stand. He can't <laughs> sit with us. We do not stand. Uh, insatiable. I didn't see Insatiable. Oh, and so Insatiable's like super campy, but the main character is married to a woman. Later on, he finds out that his friend enemy, his frenemy is in love with him and he ends up realizing that he's attracted to both of them and they try to have a throuple and I, I think his character right now is like I'm into both but like like he still has sex with women alone oh no Andy has sex with men alone yeah he totally progresses and it's like I'm here for it cool uh, I haven't seen the politician I watched the first episode last night um it's a Ryan Murphy production oh, like, like so it's very campy yeah. Um, and like a little over the top in a good way, but very diverse cast okay. and super representative. Love that. Loved Glee. Do not at me. I loved Glee. <laughs> That's going on your, your Annie's canceled. Sorry, I don't know what. Ah! <laughs> I accidentally clicked a link for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the this song. This is the bisexual song. And I like guys. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great song. Okay, fuck. Sorry. Um, it's okay. Um, we could talk about that. Crazy ex, crazy ex girlfriend. The main character's boss, right? Is he her boss? Uh, so the Daryl. I think. I think he's the main character's boss. Or are they just coworkers? Maybe just coworkers. I, I don't know. I watched. I watched a little bit. Of that I didn't show. watch any of it except for that clip where it he was, sings. A genuinely great show. Very funny and cute. A little cringy, which I kind of like. 
Mm. You know, like that kind of humor where you're like, oh, God, I can't believe they're... No, I can't believe they're going to do this. Uh Uh-huh. Like, you know. Like it. Fun. It works. Yeah. Yeah, so somebody on Reddit said, I think the show ended up having four to five openly bi characters, and they're treated just like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great show. Terrible name. (laughs) Terrible name. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Oberyn Martell from Game of Thrones. He got died. Also, I would say problematic show just in general yeah <laughs> yeah uh villanelle from killing eve maybe also eve from killing eve yeah, maybe. maybe they both kind of have sex with men and women I don't and know. her partner from the first couple episodes they're in the hotel room and he's calling her out oh. on totally wanting to doink villanelle yeah and he reveals that he has had sex with both men and women that's right mm-hmm. okay that's a great show that's a great show. Um, the Bisexual. I haven't seen that. Um, it's a single season. They might be having a second, but it's by a bisexual writer. It's basically about somebody who was in a lesbian relationship and then is like figuring out that they're actually bisexual. Um, there's a lot of the like self-hate that comes mm. from it. It was kind of a bummer. Okay. Yeah, which is true to the experience for a lot of people. Yeah, that's true. Might skip it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Big Mouth, we discussed last week or a few weeks ago, maybe issues with that. Tara from True Blood. Oh, so hot. Did you watch True Blood? Yes, I did. Also, every other character in True Blood. Yes. Basically. Also, Anna Paquin's bye. Bye, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Wow, what a... Another a messy, messy early aughts show. Yes. Very messy. Yes. So it was great. Oh, Dr. Hadley from House. Explicitly by. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also lives right around here. What? Olivia Wilde, right? Wow. Should we get her on for... Dude, yeah. And here's Olivia <laughs> Wilde. <laughs> Our close friend. Wow. We're going to clickbait this shit out of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, Angela from Bones. I, I've watched an episode of Bones every once in a while, but never watched it chronologically. But I know that mm. character. Did you watch Bones? Not at all. Okay. Is that David Boreanaz? In Angela? Not, <laughs> not that David Boreanaz plays Angela, but yeah, yeah, is yeah, he... Yeah, yeah he's, the, he's the love interest. Orange is the New Black. A few bisexual characters in that one. I think we talked about it even. Yeah. They finally said bisexual. It was a bi late a while ago. I watched a few seasons and then I kind of stopped. Teetered off. I watched all of it, but I probably like watched the last four seasons. Rose's ex? Ross's ex. I was like, Rose's ex was on Friends? I'm going to out my (laughs) ex tonight. I'm going to be like, damn, your your ex was on Friends? That's amazing. (laughs) Ross's ex on Friends. And Phoebe. That's right. Phoebe was bi. I do remember that. I remember later in life because I watched Friends really young and I didn't pick up on the fact that she was bi. And then later in life, I was like, Phoebe was bi. Interesting. Yeah. Lily from How I Met Your Mother, she often talks about how she's sexually attracted to Robin, uh, mostly played as a joke. Eleanor from The Good Place, uh, it's not said explicitly, but she talks about attraction to women constantly. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like, all of the teen witches are 
banging everybody. It's oh, like I didn't know that. Oh yeah, it's like mixed up in orgies and polyamory. I gotta watch um, the show. Yeah, it's pretty dope. And then Sakura Card Captors yeah. was an anime aired in Latin America in the early 2000s. So. I, I saw some of it. Yeah? I don't remember her being bi, but I will take your word for it. Uh, that's from a Redditor, so we're going to take the Redditor's word yep. for it. Yep. Um, and then Lois from Family Guy apparently talks about either having been with or being attracted to women. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, Seth MacFarlane, work. Uh-huh. This is a fan favorite, Bob Belcher. Oh, there's more. Oh, he shit. talks about his attraction yeah. to men. Yeah, Bob Belcher from Bob's Burgers. I totally, I agree. It would be cool. I feel like naturally they could get away with him being explicitly bisexual. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And I think they should do it. I think so. I'm just going to throw that out. Let's call for it. Yeah. Let's, okay, so we've got a, we're going to put Jenny Bix on blast yes. and the creator of Bob's Burgers. We're going to start a Twitter hashtag that's going to be trending and it's called hashtag make Bob buy. Make Bob buy. Make Bob buy. So get on that. Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter users. I mean, just think like television has been around for 60, 70 years now as a pretty widespread form of media in America. Most of these characters are from the last 20 years if not the last 10 years so the last five years <laughs> we're working on it we're progressing we are learning we are sharing it's growth that's the only quote from insecure that i know if you know what that is growth growth movies i mentioned but there have been quite a few big budget action movies which are you know those are the movies that everyone goes to see and everyone like it or not comes away with some kind of thoughts on the people depicted in that movie and not a lot of those movies that are so widespread depict men as bisexual work on that too get better hollywood Hollywood. come on hollywood all of those hollywood producers who are listening to our podcast there have been bisexual women in big action films including the female characters in those films have been bisexual, including Lisbeth Salander from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Valkyrie from Thor Ragnarok, Charlize Theron's character in Atomic Blonde, which was incredible. What a film. Nobody saw it except for me, but she has sex with Sofia Batella, and I died. I died. Um, can I direct read Annie's note around this? Yeah. When she does sex to, Sof- to <laughs> Sophia Batella. Wow, wow. Cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> All of that's in caps. I should clarify the film, the actual plot of the film was incomprehensible. <laughs> it made no sense. <laughs> but the wardrobe was amazing and it was very sexy. <laughs> I love it. Um, there's also Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, a lot of people noted that as their first exposure. Summer from 500 Days of Summer. Right. She men- mentions a female ex. Same with Ramona Flowers from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yep. He has to fight a female ex. Right. Mm-hmm. Alyssa from Chasing Amy, the whole movie, which, I don't know, I feel like there's been like a bell curve on that movie where it came out and people were like, this is a great movie, exploring human sexuality. And then I got dragged for a long time because it was like, this isn't representative of lesbians. And then it came back up. Now it's on the upswing. And it was like, oh, it's really about bisexuality. This is not a movie about gayness. It's about bisexuality. It was always about bisexuality. (laughs) 
Kevin Smith said when he made it, it was about bisexuality. Oh. I'm in I'm in that camp where like he made a very thoughtful movie about bisexuality, in my opinion. Not he made a movie about how all lesbians just want to fuck dudes. Because I like Kevin Smith. <laughs> I think I have to rewatch. I think I watched it when I was probably like 14 doing an obligatory like and I'm supposed to watch all of the Kevin Smith movies now. Right. So I'd be interested to see what my take on it now would be because I remember the the fisting. Yeah. <laughs> the fisting wave and that's all I remember. Yeah. And I that was probably made me be like, oh my God, like I can't, I can't, yeah. I can't be a little bit gay because I can't have that happen. <laughs> we should rewatch it. That would be a good, I also haven't seen it since my early 20s should we uh call for advice should we start a patreon so that we can live watch live watch movies movies and just record our reactions yeah and then you guys can pay like five dollars a month for them yeah just think about it one dollar a month i don't know (laughs) my opinion's not very valuable um also cabaret which is also a musical so i should probably save it for a future episode cliff is bisexual in the movie and in the musical, which I saw when I was in high school, and it probably was my first exposure to bisexuality. I just didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. The Comedian, which I haven't seen, but I saw mentioned in a lot of my research. It's a British film about a bisexual guy. Uh, Jennifer's Body. Wow. It's the, one of the greatest films of all time. Fight me. Um, when j- So on Monday night, Cassandra and I went to see um, a panel speak about queerness and horror. They talked about Jennifer's Body. And I, ch- I told Cassandra, I was like, oh, Jennifer's Body, you'll love it. It's very campy. And there's some woman-loving women action. And she was like, okay, I don't really like campy. And they just played the kiss scene in this panel. And she was like, why haven't we watched this? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I tried to tell you yeah. that Amanda Seyfried and fucking Megan Fox make out. Yeah. And it's very, it's like actually not very male gazy in my opinion. True. It's very like sensual, true kiss. But um, yeah, it's great. And they're watching that. When that movie came out, I probably watched it like 15 times on repeat. Whoa. (laughs) Now watching it, I'm like, oh, it's so obvious that they're the real romantic. Yeah, they're in love. Yeah, they're in love. And like she's Jennifer is in love with what's her face. Oh, and uh, needy, needy Lesninski, needy Les. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're they are in love with each other. Yeah. And all of the male characters are like flat, vapid characters. Yeah. Like they fill stereotypes. Yep. Love it. I, that is very a movie good. I'm now realizing in this very moment that kind of bridged the gap between these early aughts representations of bisexuality that were like over overly sexualized or like tragic or what have you. And the represent, representations we have now that which are very thoughtful and there was this one right in the middle that was like, everyone who saw it at the time was like, we don't get it. Like, is it a gay movie? Is it a horror movie? Like, and now it's, it's like, oh, it was a, it was a movie about frustration with men who are trying to make you fit in a box. And then all the men interpreted that movie that way. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So it's an incredible piece of film. And now we're starting to realize that. And I'm just so happy that we're finally getting there. Jennifer's Body is like a perfect, a great film. It's great. 
It's and great. Yeah. It did not get appreciated for its art. No, it did not. I have a bunch of notes about other mediums that we're going to save for future episodes, but we do have, we wanted to discuss also people who we think are bisexual in television and film, but like, it would make sense, you know? It would just all make sense if they were bisexual, but it's never discussed and it's never portrayed in any way that would hint at that being true. But it would make sense. Yeah, where you're like, I just feel like it always, it always should have been. Like... Donna from that 70s show is bi as hell. They only ever show her, as far as I know, let's be honest, I didn't watch the whole season, the whole series. I think she's only ever romantic or sexual towards men, but in my heart, mind, body, and soul, she is bi and Lara Prepon will marry me. Wow. One day. Big bi energy. <laughs> I always thought Ashton Kutcher in that show had a little bit of bi energy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I always felt that way. He's just, I don't know. I think his more. character actually often has bits of like homosexual men hitting on him and he doesn't realize what's going on. Oh, uh, okay. Like maybe he just fawns for attention. Yeah. Well, that's not. And a, is maybe, <laughs> but maybe because he's too stupid yeah. to like connect it with sexuality, he's just like, oh, wow, thanks for thinking I'm fun and funny yeah and it's like no it's because you're hot it's your hot dude yeah interesting he is very hot so is mila kunis <sighs> wow now they're like married i know all right maybe they're both by don't kid <laughs> don't, don't threaten me with a good time <laughs> i mean the, I, I have two on here that are from the same medium but the one that i think more so for film and, and television especially is captain america listen I just I feel that way. I'm I don't I, I don't have to explain myself. Nope. I know he's not canonically bisexual. Just would just really mean a lot if he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To me personally. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all that matters is what's going on in your heart. There's just a lot of tension. I know that he loves Peggy and I love that he is like he loves her so much in the MCU films. But if Peggy wasn't around, like, what would be going on with Bucky, you know? Or Tony. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and you got stars in your eyes talking about Captain America. There's a lot of tension. A recent report found that 30% of bisexual women and transgender people live below the poverty line. When you just lump LGBTQ all together, it's 20%. And when you do straight cis people, it's 16%. Hmm. On September 23rd, 2019, the 20th anniversary of Biovisibility Day, the National Institutes of Health held uh, its first ever bisexual health research workshop. They held a, uh, a a bisexual health research workshop. Which yeah, and, great. And uh, some of the research that was shared, to the surprise of nobody who listens to this podcast, uh, was a wonderful array of the mental and physical health challenges that are faced by bisexuals. It's great. It's good that we are getting an explicitly and specifically bisexual event. Yes, and it's especially good that it has to do with health and mental health. Yay. 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 More by research, please. Yay. The new BBC drama series about Dracula will feature a bisexual male Dracula. 
because all vampires are bi. That's true. Can confirm. I know several. I know several as well. Um, But it's by the same people who did Sherlock. So should be good. I don't know. I didn't like Sherlock. Do you like Sherlock? Um, I don't know. (laughs) I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, Representative Katie Hill, a Democrat of California in um, the United States Congress, stepped down this week from her seat after allegations of sexual relationships with staffers. Not great news for Democrats or bisexuals. I don't have any hot takes about it. Just, I guess it's a bad idea to sleep with your staffers, so don't do that. (laughs) Can I ask a question? Yeah. I was sent this by someone and before you sent it to me. Um, and Someone, I can't remember who. Um, <laughs> no, my friend Catherine shared this with me before um, she resigned. And it said something about revenge porn. But I don't know the full context because I haven't read the articles yet. From what I can tell, without sensationalizing it too much, she was in a thruple with a staffer and her husband, at now ex-husband, and it is supposed that because her because she's getting a divorce from her husband he sent this information to some conservative news groups uh, about their relationship and now it's being used to make her resign from her congressional seat I mean I think she probably should sleeping with staffers is I mean like it's a power thing. You can't do it if you're in a political seat. You just can't. Lady, you, you can't, can't do it. You can't do it if you're uh, in a position of power in the workplace. That's how to be boss 101. Yeah. So, I don't know. It sucks that her ex-husband did that and that the media will probably take this and be like, this is just what bisexuals do. They're so slutty and unprofessional. Everyone will everyone will do that still. Anyways, <laughs> also in bi history, in November of 1992, the South Florida Bisexual Network, uh, which was founded in 1989, and the Florida International University's Stonewall Students Union co-sponsored the first annual Southeast Regional Bisexual Conference, which is historic. Because 35 people from four states attended. It's, hey, this is just to say we've come a long way. We've come a long way. I think we had like 35 people at our Bi-Visibility Day event, which is dope. Yeah, and we live in a borough of a city. So if you were to put four states together, you'd probably get a a pretty big crowd. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Bising Stars, do you want to do yours first? Sure. I wanted to highlight Evan Rachel Wood. Mm -hmm. You may know her from her role in 13, no bra, no panties. <laughs> no bra, no panties. Just like Annie. Um, just like <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Annie was like, oh, the bisexual stereotype that everyone's slutty while she's flashing me. So I don't understand. Yeah. So Evan Rachel Wood is a really, really outspoken and proud bisexual woman, actress, mother and advocate against domestic violence. Um, And she's done a lot of work speaking on behalf of victims of intimate partner abuse. Um, 
to kind of try and change policy. She's most recently starring as the oldest host in Westworld. Um, mm. And if you're interested, she just had, I think it's Self Magazine, that she just got the cover of. And nice. it says bisexual on it because she talks about bisexuality, rage, and surviving violence. Dude, I bet she was like, I will be on the cover. You have to put the word bisexual on it. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. She's very, if you go to her, any of her Instagram, uh, or sorry, any of her social media presence, it's very heavily bisexual. And she also gave a really, really awesome acceptance speech at the human rights campaign. Um, I'll link to it in the show notes, but she talks a lot about how mental, uh, how bisexuals are, our mental health is impacted. And it's, it's great. She's great. Love her. Great. Good work, Evan Rachel Wood. I always get her name mixed up. I'm like Rachel Evan, Evan Rachel. Uh, for some reason, Evan Rachel Wood and Rachel Lee Cook are like linked in my mind yeah. really hard. Yep. Um, I wanted to talk about a bisexual media personality who shares our medium, um, and that's Dr. Sydney McElroy. Uh, someone when we were asking around for bisexual representations in media someone was like oh travis mcelroy plays a bisexual woman on the adventure zone which is a podcast i just went to a live taping of <laughs> but i was, I was like, gonna make fun of you but i got nothing <laughs> but i can i mean i can do one better sydney mcelroy is another branch of the mcelroy family um she's married to justin mcelroy who who does the adventure zone and my brother, my brother and me. And he also makes a podcast with his wife, Sydney called Sawbones, a, a, a marital tour of misguided medicine Ooh. where they talk about medical history and all the ways that it's been uh, messed up <laughs> and all the things that have happened. I have a book. I have their book. I can give it to you. It's great. And Sydney also does another podcast with her sisters called still buffering, which is about being a teenager she came out on an episode of Still Buffering, I think two years ago or a year ago, as bisexual. And she wrote this very eloquent tweet a year later about um, going to her first Pride as an out bisexual. She said, this is the first Pride that I felt like a tiny part of, and I wanted to share something. Let me be clear. I am very lucky in the love and support I have in my life, and though a bisexual woman, I will spend my life as a cis with a cis het man, so will not know prejudice. Um, she says, when I was 14, though, and started to realize who I was, I had no vocabulary for it. I believed I was a deviant. I believed that while I looked nice on the outside, I was twisted and broken inside, and I believed I had to hide that forever, even from those I loved. So I share this for any young person who is afraid of the thoughts only they know. My teenage brain could have used it. You are not broken. You are not wrong. You are not deviant. You are not alone. There is love out here, and you deserve it. I know. Annie, can you show your boobs so I don't cry? <laughs> I know. It's so sweet, and I don't know. She's so good. She's so smart. She makes a great podcast that, that very thoughtfully approaches people who have been exploited by medicine and people who exploit people's fears about medicine. And I don't know. She's just great. We need more of her. Yeah. 
I'm definitely going to check her out. That sounds great. Yeah, it's really good. All around. She also opened for the show that I went to. So oh, tight. That's cool. Cool. Call for advice. I need personal advice. I'm about to, this has nothing to do with bisexuality, by the way, but I'm about to do some big life changes and I am feeling anxiety about it. So a, a more um, bisexual related tangential, but still very personal way of approaching my call for advice would be to say that I'm really taking my relationship to the next level <laughs> <laughs> and, and being more serious about it than in any relationship I've ever had. I'm moving in with someone for the first time, which is pretty nuts. <gasps> so really any advice anyone has about like living with your partner for the first time, please, please send it. I will happily give you my advice offline. <laughs> okay, great. What's your What's your call for advice? Um, my call for advice is um, how do you create space for yourself in a conversation when you feel like you're getting shut out? Um, this was brought on by uh, a party I was at. Uh, Annie and I were both there, and someone said, uh, have you listened to their podcast? And the person was like, no, you guys have a podcast. What's it about? And I was like, Rose, don't say guys. That's a gender term. Um, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the guy said, no, what's your podcast about? And we answered bisexuality. And slowly I saw him trying to make commentary on bisexuality, but clearly being very afraid he was going to offend. So physically turning his <laughs> body to shut me out of the conversation... And talk about a thing that I identify as and Annie and I make a podcast about, but with a completely excluding me from the conversation. And I kept trying to like butt back in because um, I'm like that. But I I wondered if there's a, a, that was a very obvious example to me, but I feel like it happens subtly often. So what are good, positive, affirming ways that you can kind of like make space for yourself within conversations and within like arenas. I say give that guy a TV show. I mean, he 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 obviously knows all there is to know about bisexuality, so he should go for it. He can make the next big bisexual man action film that we've all oh. been begging for. I would see it. I mean, I know this person and I would see that movie. I would see it too. So totally. that I could ridicule him. <laughs> I don't think he realized he was doing it, but I think he got three words into a sentence about bisexuality and was like, oh, I'm going to offend this person who I don't know. So I'll just shut them out, which to me is more offensive than being like, oh, I'm here. I'm open to learn. So how do I create that environment for people, I guess? Write to us and let us know at H-E-L-L-O-G-O-O-D-B-I-S 42069 at gmail.com. That's right. Or you can DM us on Instagram. We're on Instagram at hello goodbyes. Look us up. Or you can leave us a voice memo. You could also just call and scream about your favorite bisexual character in any medium. That is anchor.fm slash hello goodbyes slash message yeah i think that's it yeah books film tv podcasts comics plays plays mag youtube dramas mm. youtubers uh instagram personalities 
We want to know about it. We want to know because we want to watch or read or browse or play video games, favorite video game characters. Yeah. That was one I wanted to talk about. We'll get to it later. And until then, goodbye good from the goodbyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, 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 wow,